Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined, of course, by the dear leader of Danway.com, the one, the only, Jeremy Goldcorn. How the hell are you doing, Jeremy? <laughs> good evening, Kaiser. Well, it's good to see you, man. And um, we are continuing our summer break from the news-related topics we usually tackle here on Seneca and talking today about something that we don't discuss with nearly enough frequency on this show, the arts in China. We are absolutely delighted to have with us a woman who is better qualified than anyone else I know to talk about the arts, Ms. Allison Friedman. Allison is the director and founder of Ping Pong Productions, which is based right here in Beijing and is involved in all sorts of aspects of performing arts, especially in cross-cultural exchange and bringing groups from the States over here and bringing groups of performing artists from China to points beyond. How are you, Allison? I'm good. Hi, Kaiser. Well, Hi, welcome. Jeremy. Good, good to have you. <laughs> it's hey, good Allison. to be here. <laughs> welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's let's. I mean, for people who don't know you, I think everyone in Beijing basically does. But um, for people beyond, uh, tell us tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in the performing arts. I think that it had something to do with tap dance. It did. I was I was curious whether you had a wooden floor uh, in the pop up studio and if I should bring my tap shoes to uh, have some audio accompaniment. But it's carpeted, so yeah, I'm uh, right. I'm off well, the hook. Know, we need to have like sound, you know, soft sounds in here. Right. There you go. Uh, I act- well, that's another story. But I actually did that once when I worked for CRI. I, uh, no I uh, brought my tap shoes into the studio and tap danced for Beijing listening audiences. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, my background in China. I've been here 12 years now and tap dance was my entry level drug to the world of dance. Oh, and wow. back in the day, I thought never the twain shall meet. I mean, how do you, <laughs> how in those days do you combine an interest in dance and theater and playing piano like every nice young Jewish girl should do uh, with an interest in studying Chinese? So, Which is something also every nice young Jewish girl should it's be. It's true. Indeed. The lost, the lost tribe. Actually, you, you, started, you started Chinese in high school, yeah. right? I did. I yeah. did. You've had Bill Bishop on the show many a time, and we were actually uh, Xiaoyo. We went to the same <laughs> high school in D.C., although I like to point out he's much older than I am. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, well Bill, Bill is ancient. It's true. Ancient it's, yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> Bill still is my Didi. He, he's Shuhou. I think he's he's a monkey. Really? What Shuhou? Yeah, but you're... you're, you're People are revealing too much, as <laughs> always, you Americans. You're right. oversharing. Right, right. Yeah. We're yeah. artists here. We're touchy-feely. Come okay, on. Okay, okay. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm being an artist. I'm, I'm including you in this, down. Kaiser. And, uh, exactly. Uh, uh, Come on. Exactly. Punk, you know, death metal is as artsy as it gets. Exactly. Um, so, and, uh, you, so dialing it back. Yeah, dialing back and All coming right. back uh, to, to No, so I did. I studied, I studied Chinese in high school. Uh, it seemed like a lark when you're 14, and that's an option. Uh, this is back in the day. I'm not that much younger than Bill Bishop. So this is back in the day before years, the rest of the, uh, the world figured out they should study Chinese. And I stuck with it in college, still not knowing what I was going to do. I sort of felt my whole life was this battle between and versus or, you know, uh-huh. either you do Chinese or you do the arts or you do academics or you do artsy fartsy stuff. And I was always a champion for the and over the or. I, I, I'm all about the and. No, Jeremy, don't you agree? You married an and. Oh, you actually got my red and all. I used to be all about the esque, I would say. But, um. <laughs> ish, a little ish, a little esque. Um, but <laughs> so I still, you know, I was the typical lost soul. I went uh, and when uh, I was 
thinking I'd go the journalism route. I thought that combined a lot of aspects. If you're on television, that's a little bit like performance, right? <laughs> so I came and actually interned. It was Jimmy Floor Cruz's first week on the job at CNN. And oh, I wow. interned. I got there two days before he arrived. And during that internship, I met a group called the Living Dance Studio. And they invited me to participate in a show they were doing with 30 Sichuan migrant workers. It was called Dance with Farm Workers. <laughs> Not to be confused with Dances with Wolves. <laughs> and, uh, and we and that that blew it open for me. I mean, it was the the classic story of the shared culture of modern dance. You know, here I was a college student. My Chinese was iban ban. We had a hard, awkward. You know, I was still the fat foreigner at that point. And uh, the minute we started rehearsing, it was like I'd found family in China. So that blew it open for me that I could combine this performance background that I had with these years of painful study of Chinese. How long ago did you start ping pong? Ping pong is almost five years old. Oh, okay, great. So it's still still kind of the the teenage years of a startup, I think you could call it. Yeah, but I mean, you guys have done quite a number of. of, of you've brought brought over a number of of pretty prominent performers and. Uh, you know, plays like the Pentagon Papers. What are, what are some of the... the, the Pentagon p- Papers, which w- one wouldn't think would be a very easy type of play. To bring uh, to especially at a very that, sensitive thought, oh, time. You know, you're going to be in trouble with this one, and you pulled that off. That was... Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, Ping Pong... The reason I started Ping Pong Productions, it, and it goes back to that performance with the migrant workers and the, the living dance studio in, in, uh, when I was still in college, this idea that... Um, and again, it, it risks sounding cliched and cheesy, but this role of the arts as an ability to be a bridge between countries and cultures is very real. And even though I, I came back to China after college on a Fulbright Fellowship to research contemporary performance, and one project led to another. And even though I liked working in the arts, what I really liked about it was how they could bring uh, greater nuance to images of countries and cultures. You know, during that time in the early 2000s, everyone was paying attention to China. They'd just gotten the Olympic bid, uh, but there was still that lack of understanding. So what the arts could do is bring them together, and Ping Pong's mission is cultural diplomacy. So this Pentagon Papers play... Uh, is a great example of that. It's a docudrama written by Jeff Cowan. He's at USC, head of the Annenberg School, and um, they the docudrama tells the story of when the U.S. government set an injunction against the Washington Post, or the New York Times and then the Washington Post, to not publish these documents. Who plays Daniel Ellsberg in it? Uh, we did the show. We actually toured it in 2011, and Josh Stamberg played. Uh, El- oh no, Ellsberg was played by Henry Clark, oh, a, okay. an actor in Hollywood. Uh, who, who I understand. Well, anyway, we're, we're not going to overshare on. on, on, on. Um, anyway, one of the things that we really want to talk to you about, um, and, and th- something that you, you you know quite a bit about, is uh, the actual arts system here, the, the performing arts in China, I mean, the, the education system, the, the state companies like the Guotuan and, and, and so forth, how they're funded. And I don't know it's something that a lot of people don't have exposure to. I, I myself, I mean, having lived here for an awfully long time, I still don't have all that much exposure to it. I mean, I, I've certainly known a lot of people who are involved in these state-run dance, song and dance troops or, or, and so forth. But give, give us a little bit of a sketch about how, how it's done here. Or how it was done and how it's changed. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Everything's en medias res. Um, the performing arts groups in China, it's the same situation actually as other sectors. Everything was a state-owned enterprise once mm-hmm. upon a time. The song and dance troops, the go wutuan, all of these massive theaters, they were all run, operated, supported by the government. Right. And 
the big shift came probably around 2005 with the 11th five-year plan, uh-huh. which set into motion the move from state-run, state-owned to more market-oriented uh, systems for the arts groups. Just like they were shutting down factories, they were trying or converting them, not necessarily shutting some down and trying to convert others. They were doing that with all of the arts organizations as well. So they basically said, you're a state-run song and dance troupe. Now you have to rely on market forces. Get thee to the marketplace. Yeah. And uh, the one difficulty with that is there wasn't much of a marketplace for them to get the two uh ticket buyers you know everyone expected oh pang yo song song piao ba you know yeah, give, yeah, me, give yeah. me a ticket yeah. buddy give me give me free tickets <laughs> we all know about that right yeah that, i mean that's something my wife is a musician complains about constantly in china that if you are you know in the united states and you have a new cd or show your friends will say oh where can i buy the cd or where can i buy a ticket to the show and in China, the first reaction is generally, oh, can you give me a CD or can you give me tickets? Right. Exactly. It, it does seem to be a sort of systemic and cultural problem. Well, I remember when my old band was, was um, arrested on trumped-up drug-related drug charges. Uh, we, as all good, as all good metal band. bands should be. No, this is my old band, right, right, right. Your old, old band. My old, old band. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, basically, the, the stipulation for our re- release with a little slap on the wrist was you need to get us tickets to every pop concert, you know, here on, for, for the next, like, three years or something. It was just crazy. Kenny G? Were yeah, you, Kenny were you G, trying to exactly. hook him up with Kenny G, Kenny and then G. you'd be good to go? Well, we, 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 that's where we brought Jeremy in, because Jeremy was <laughs> <laughs> just like Kenny G. We just gave him, gave him an alto sax. And, when, uh, when you had longer hair? Yeah. Soprano sax. <laughs> Dead ringer. <laughs> Dead ringer. You've been mistaken for Kenny G in airports. Yeah, it, oh. it's true. I'm, 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 I'm Did you sign autographs? <laughs> so how did these guys fare? How did these, I mean, when they were tossed into the ocean, as, as it were, um, well, the, mm. these, these, these song and dance troops? I mean, is it like the NEA, you know, getting defunded by Congress? Was it that kind of a thing? <laughs> it was a little bit of that. They've, uh, it's, it's made it really rough for young, independent, more experimental people. On the one hand, you'd think, great, it's no longer state-funded, that means it's going to be much less state-controlled, and suddenly now there will be all this freedom and it will be a blossoming of of groups. But in fact, in a lot of ways, the opposite sort of happened. But there was no market to get thee to, right? Right, there's no market to get thee to, and uh, especially the venues. The venues became over-reliant on ticket sales Uh because to them, the market meant earned income. It meant people buying tickets. And to buy tickets, they needed headliners. They needed Kenny G. They needed uh, other, you know... um, Big names and uh, and popular fair. Popular fair, exactly. Or they needed things that brought mienza, that brought face. So if a large, well-known orchestra was coming, mm-hmm. that's not cheap, but it's distinguished, and then that could help them get more funding from the government because the government money didn't disappear. It was just getting reportioned and coming from different avenues. And so has has it been that way ever since two thousand five? I mean, has, has have they languished in? In, in a, a sort of sorry state of affairs since since 2005, or, or have things improved in recent years at all? A little bit of both. A good example is back to the Living Dance Studio. Uh-huh. In 2005, they went on this big tour of the U.S., and at that time, they did not want the Chinese embassy in the States to know they were going. They all went on tourist visas. They were worried that if the government knew, they might block their visas, It might there might be difficulties. Fast forward to 2011, there was a big China festival in Switzerland, and the Ministry of Culture paid for everybody, all the independent Chinese artists' airfare to go over and participate. Mm. And in five years, although within China it was getting a little rougher, uh, they were changing policies to recognize that there were independent artists that were worthy of funding and support, um, although 
the added difficulty is that support tends to be to send them out, not necessarily to support them within China. Ah, so right. if you need airfare to go to Europe, chances are that if the Ministry of Culture doesn't have certain problems with you, you can find that support. If it's funding, you know, systemic funding here in China to create new work, that doesn't exist yet. And that's still a really big problem. So what do you think um, really needs to be done? Um, this, it seems like the, they, they didn't have a, a, a solution in place when they pulled the rug of support out from under uh, and, and sort of cast them into, into the, the ocean. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. They, they um, I think, thought that market forces would take over. Right. But the situation with the arts in every country is the market isn't necessarily what sustains it. Um, that's why the American system has nonprofits, so people can donate to support something that maybe the market, you know, ticket sales wouldn't support. That's why Europe has government funding that does support things. And so there, it's sort of the pendulum swung one way to try and remove a lot of government funding, and now it's slowly inching back to figure out what kind is useful and what kind do they need. And Alison, what do you think? Because th- that in some ways seems like it could be a good thing in the sense that you have now a lot of rich Chinese people, many of whom have already, you know, they've bought their Ferrari, you know, they've, they've been, they've drunk Nyobi, they've acted like, you know, the bee's knees to be polite for long enough and they want to fund the arts or culture. So I think you, you're starting to see a situation where you, you have funding. Will the government allow it? without interference because and that you know harkens back a little bit to the question I asked you at the beginning about the Pentagon Papers I mean one of the big difficulties in the arts and culture here is that it's not just about funding it's also about content it's content about, right, and acceptability permissions. history permissions and you know the Ministry of Culture and some of the other um, bodies that grant permission especially for live performances can be very very um, interested in it. the details <laughs> shall we say <laughs> Um, well, you touched on a lot of things there. In terms of the rise of corporate sponsorship or individual philanthropy, that's really the next horizon, and that's where we're starting to to turn to right now. I mean, the, one of the reasons I've been been here for 12 years is you really are seeing changes before your eyes. When I got here in 2002 on the Fulbright, the idea of a freelancer didn't really exist because if you weren't in an established company, there was no market, there were no projects going on for you to be a freelance dancer, theater artist, actor, writer, whatever. And now there are. I mean, the whole concept of Beipiao, Northern Floaters. Mm-hmm, there are mm-hmm. all these artists in, in Beijing, the Beipiao. And I think that's one of the biggest changes you see. But but going back to the funding issue... Well, Alison, Alison, that, that dates back, I think, to 1992, actually. Oh, oh it's, it's, it's before it? that. Even I mean, before, It's the 80s, is it? It's, it's the 80s. I mean, by the yeah. 80s, um, you know, the, the scene back then was sort of this amalgam of, of people in the dramatic arts. Uh, you, know, but, you know, these are graduates of, of you know... Uh, and 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 you know the Central uh, Drama Academy in the, the film right and and uh, people from the art schools uh, a lot of, yeah they're, they're Huns, yeah but but <laughs> right. um, but they 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 didn't belong to it that way I mean it was just uh, it was unheard of they didn't yeah. have you know a, a dime right. hanging somewhere in in some dime yeah. way. And they were they were independent, and we've seen this is is very interesting. But they've been largely orphaned. They've been sort of left to their own devices, and there hasn't been any kind of of, of government support for them. Um, the ones who've gotten lucky, uh, you know, have have found art collectors or, or patrons or, uh, or or record labels or what have you. But right, but who are you talking about? I mean, you guys are talking about. Music and visual every, arts. Every, right, right, right. Not, we're not, not just theater and dance about, so much. No, no, even theater and dance. I mean, theater, not so much. Yeah. Not dance. I'm Dance I'm uh, admittedly completely unfamiliar with. But, you know, there was really one figure who kind of loomed large uh, starting in the mid-'90s, I guess, uh, over the whole modern dance world. Uh, 
kind of the way that Sui Jian kind of loomed large over the whole world of, of, of rock music, which I'm more familiar with. But, you know, Jin Xing. But she was part of a company. She was part of a company. She was part of a company. All of those people were part of companies. Jin Xing, Beijing Modern Dance Company, was registered on the Beijing Gou Tuan. And so they were Zhu Ce. They were registered. And same with even Wu Wen. Well, Wu Wenguang was was different, but his wife, Wen Hui, who was the co founder of the Living Dance Studio, Wen Hui was a choreographer with the Dongfang Gou Tuan, the Oriental Song and Dance Troupe. Mm -hmm. And so that allowed them to then do all this stuff on the side. So directors like Lin Zhao Hua, Meng Jinghui, they Uh were all luminaries in these big government troops and then found ways to walk that line to do everything on the side. Ah, okay. So, I thought, so they I weren't thought freelancers. The like, I they were not the Bay Piao. I mean, when Guang did his documentary, Bumming in Beijing, in the, what is that, the late 80s, early right, 90s? Late, that was early when 90s, that, right. And that was about who you guys are talking about. But but when and when Guang, the actual know, dance people basically weren't being freelancers mm-hmm. back then. You either had a Danway or you had shit. Right, exactly. And in many ways, the Danway so allowed you to do stuff be. on the anyway, side. Yeah, <laughs> the Danway allowed you to bomb on the side. Yeah, that, that's, exactly. that's that's very interesting. I mean, which is which is a great. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, the the necessity is the mother of invention. So you you find ways to. I mean, Wen Hui, whose work, uh, a lot of her early work, I really respected. Did one of the most ridiculous things that I least respect where she uh, did the Chinese imitation of river dance for the Dongfang Gobutan, <laughs> where they literally had the soundtrack of the river dance show complete with the Irish step dancing sounds in it and they were just miming the tap dancing oh, on good stage. Lord. Oh, it was painful. I oh, saw that it at Poly Theater oh, in 2004. Yeah. It was killer. But <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Well, Everybody you got to do what mistakes. you do to survive. Sometimes you got to do what you do to survive. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Especially, but you were, <laughs> especially in Beijing. So, so what are your you hopes for the... me about corporate sponsorship. Yeah. So, so this group, Tao Dance Theater, was invited to Lincoln Center Festival last year, and Bank of China sponsored it. Now, they didn't give the money to Tao Dance, they gave the money to Lincoln Center, but that allowed Lincoln Center to bring this independent dance company over, um, and, and Bank of China's, you know, logo was on everything. Tell, tell us about Tao Dance. I mean, we talked about we, we talked about the, the extraordinary figure at the center of that uh, last time that we, we were chatting over beers. Tell us about... Sure. Well, I... Um, where to start? Um, I guess going back to this, this change that we're seeing now with more independent people finding ways to survive. You know, Wen Hui did it in the 90s and early 2000s by having a Dunway and being able to fund stuff on the side through that. Um, as well as with support from European foundations and things. But Tao, Tao Ye, who's the founder of Tao Dance, is the next generation. He's in his mid-20s. He's very young. He started the company five years ago when he was only like 22. And he went through the system. He was in an army song and dance troupe for a couple of years. Then he was in Jin Xing's company in Shanghai. Then he was in the Beijing Modern Dance. And then he said, screw this. I have my own vision. I have my own direction. I'm leaving and I'm doing it myself, which meant he and one other dancer just left and started creating work and there was there was no system there was no income they just lived frugally and traveled three hours a day to some region of Hebei to find a cheap five quiet day rehearsal studio and started creating work and uh and one of the nice things i think about china is uh for some of these artists is the demand sometimes overwhelms supply. There aren't that many companies out there, but there's a lot of demand from European festivals, American festivals, you know, presenters who really want to show uh, cutting edge, you know, finger quotes, uh, art from China, performing arts from China. And if you've only got a handful of people to choose from, those people are going to be able to survive on a lot of international touring uh uh, income. So that's a little bit how he got his start, but it's really snowballed. And they're now one of the few, they're not yet registered. 
They're entirely independent, uh, but they have this gorgeous studio out in Shunyi that they've been able to fund entirely from international touring fees. They get nothing for survival from within China. Wow. Um, they do get support for international airfares from the ministry, but that's it. You told me uh, once that uh, that there are uh, more modern dance troops in the city of New York than there are in the entirety of China, this country of 1.39. Exponentially more. Exponentially. There is a, uh, a, a study done. In 2006, the study said there were over almost 300 modern dance companies in the city of New York alone. In the city of New York alone, almost 300 dance companies. How many are in Jerry, you know this already because I told you, Kaiser Jeremy, how many would you venture to guess in all of China? You're putting me on the spot. Yeah, we'll yeah. just you know, throw out a number <laughs> there, Jeremy. How many modern dance companies yeah. in all of China? 50. No, no, no. Three. Uh, somewhere <laughs> between. <laughs> Screw you. Should I hedge my bets? <laughs> now I see what kind of guy you are. I, you're, the, your second guess was closer. It was okay. much closer. Yeah, fewer than 10. So 50. Fewer, fewer than, than 10. 10. Oh, my God. Right. And okay. fully functioning, you know, or no, excuse me, regularly functioning, regularly uh, oh. operating, performing groups. Sure, but I mean, that doesn't surprise me because I remember when I... I first met Jinxing in the 90s when she was running a club in, in Beijing. And <laughs> I remember that club. About yeah, dancing remember that, yeah. Half Dream, it was called. Yeah. Half Dream, I remember um, that. I mean, the, the feeling I had at the time was that, you know, just the idea of modern dance was itself a breakthrough in China. It was one of those moments like the Stars art exhibition, you know, outside the National Gallery in the late 70s. It was, there was not the idea of modern dance really much before the 1990s. So, I mean, it's not surprising that there's so few troops. I mean, but if you had to say how many dance troops are there in China... That's there's, another number. You know, there's more people than live in Manhattan, right? Exactly. Probably, you know. Yeah, the, 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 before they start, before the, the 11th five-year plan, the statistic for song and dance troops was in the almost 10,000. I mean, yeah, every, for every, every province... Shung, work Jen, units, actually. Yeah, work, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I have there's to the say... There was the A lot of it is just, you know, creates the most awful pabulum and bullshit. But I also have to say, that a lot of the younger Chinese people I know who are doing interesting things culturally are like, you know, Wenhua Guan Dai. I mean, they are like cultural second generation officials. Like their parents are in like Go Wutuan of the military or, you know, some stuff, you know, where the state has supported arts. And it, it's not as as bad as it can well, sound. Well, half, half the rock musicians are like that. Yeah. They, 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 seriously, they all come from like their parents the were all in Go Wutuans and stuff like that. Filmmakers, filmmakers rock right. musicians. Uh, so, um, are you seeing much, by the way, of successful fusions between sort of traditional modern performing arts and um, um, uh, traditional and modern performing arts, um, or, or are we ending up with stuff like the Twelve Girls Band? Every time we <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of hip hop with you know shui xiao or something. Shui xiao, long silk sleeves that were. You know. I think there's another, I don't know, people, and, and I get this a lot because one of the things ping pong does is bring Chinese groups out, and you get just the most excruciating, simplified, oh, contemporary Chinese art must have influences from Taiji Quan, and it must have influences from Peking Opera. and Calligraphy. You know, yeah, exactly. Guanxi. Oh, <laughs> it's <the> magnetic <laughs> poetry. Yeah, put, put all these Chopsticks. words in a hat and yeah. shake them up. 
And, and it's not that way. I mean, that's one of the reasons Tao Dance Theater is so spectacular, is it's just this individual's vision. It's one guy's idea. It's so clear what his focus is. And he's not drawing on ancient fill-in-the-blank for Mad Libs Chinese. It's, he's got one thing that he wants to do, and he's doing it to the end, and he's not kind of saying, well, you know, this Coke can represents modernity, and this fan represents tradition, and here's my dance. <laughs> I, I I've need, seen that one. <laughs> we all have too many times. Oh God, and, yeah. and, and, so what, uh, and I think that's what modernity is. I mean, not to get too um, academic, but when you start talking about what is modern Chinese performance... It's about some one person's clarity of expression and what they have to say that's different than what someone else has to say. And whether they use shui xiu, you know, silk sleeves to do that, or whether they use something really abstract that doesn't necessarily have a China title on it. Um, Jeremy, you know, you know about my 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 favorite coinage of my own, the mixed struggle art. Yes, right? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking. I mean, I that's know, exactly I've heard what about you're talking about. Many times, right, yes, right. It's I know. That, 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 that execrable The cheesy adoption of, of Chinese themes, whether they be traditional or, or revolutionary. Yeah, it's revolutionary usually, and then pop culture or pop art kind of, you know, fusion. Uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Yes, yes, yeah, the yeah, poor yeah. guy. Yeah, the poor guy. Which impresses people unfamiliar with China, but gets very stale very yeah, quickly. Exactly. Yes, I hear yeah. you. Um, so what are the difficulties that overseas companies that, that, and, and performers what, that they face when they come to China? Tour? I imagine that you must have a, a huge storehouse of humorous episodes that you could recount for our, our readers about you know, foreign troops that come here. Um, the, the foreign troops that come to China to perform, my God, where to start? The, uh, my favorite is when one troop showed up and you know, China's building these gorgeous venues with, with world-renowned architects and they're, they're funding the buildings, but they're not funding the people to run them. Uh. And so we've shown up and had spectacular equipment still in the plastic and no one in the building knows how to use it. Um, the uh, Mark Morris dance group from New York was coming and months in advance I'd been chasing them to get all the tech stuff ready and the venue had said yeah yeah, yeah we've got it we've got it no problem no problem they're about to come they're all getting on the plane and they get the information that oh all those lights you needed um, yeah we don't have those and <laughs> so they're they're uh, these are boring stories hold on let me think of a better one <laughs> I, you know what don't 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 self-correct that that I think is actually says everything about uh, the performing arts in China in a way right now is that you do have these problems. Uh, it's not just the performing arts, it's also broadcast, TV, and you know, to an extent all other kinds of media. But the performing arts, I think, is where it really hits, is you have the infrastructure and nothing in it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's, that's the problem. So I don't think you should try and force us to edit out that comment. I think you actually had... Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's very typical. I mean, I've I've seen that happen a lot of times with with bands that have come over here. You have this, you know, we're gonna fax you all all the back line. We have this, you know, all all. But uh, what about the guy who actually operates it? Um, yeah. yeah, it's always the case. I mean, China has the hardware and often not and the not software. The software. Right, right, exactly. Right, right. Well, and also they're trying to play both sides. They're trying to say they're the next leaders in the cultural realm, and yet, oh, but we're still a poor developing country, so you should fund everything. So these big orchestras that are coming over are all funded by European governments, and the venues like the National Center for the Performing Arts still don't pay reasonable performance fees for the artists that come in. Yeah, so they still yeah. want everyone else to Maidan. They want the foreigners to pick up the bill. Uh, <laughs> So, but what is the state of of, of, of cultural exchange between okay, let's, let's say com- compare um, the EU and China with say the U.S. and China? You know, once in a while we're treated to you know uh, 
great things like what the Age Society did um, for the last couple of years, you know, bringing, you know, leading American artists from a whole bunch of disparate fields to China and having sort of meaningful exchanges with leading figures in, in, in the cultural world here in, in the mainland. What's the U.S. doing? Yeah, what, what, what are well, we doing? Well, the U.S., what? you know, yeah, Jeremy, you like to whine and complain about China a lot. I like to whine and complain about the U.S. a lot because we don't have a ministry of culture that funds the arts or soft power. And frankly, uh, until 2009, I didn't even darken the doorstep of the U.S. embassy because they weren't doing anything. Right. And it's really since... 2009 was a turning point, and they've started doing more projects, they've started funding more things. But again, because China doesn't want to fund foreign companies coming over, they want the foreign uh, government to, to pick up the tab. And because the U.S. doesn't do that, they bring in way more European groups. Um, the Dutch, uh, I mean, granted, their funding was just you know, eviscerated recently, but cultural funding in the Netherlands, they had three pavilions at the Shanghai Expo, one of which was only for performing arts. Wow. The U.S. barely made it to have one. Yeah. <laughs> so We all know that horrible story. <laughs> so the Dutch, you know, the European groups, the French embassy has done this annual Crossma, you know, cultural spring festival that's now not only in Beijing, but in cities all over China. Um, the U.S. is much more reliant on a different system. And, and actually part of our role is getting China to understand that because we, a lot of times, the Chinese venues and the Chinese um, partners want to know why isn't there more from the U.S. or why yeah, well, won't the U.S. What's the main what are you doing? <laughs> right, exactly. And there is no Ministry of Culture. They don't, the funding system's different. It's corporate sponsorship. It's, the NEA doesn't fund as much internationally anymore. It's all funding things within the U.S. So uh, that's a little bit where we come in, in terms of fulfilling the role that, say, the U.K. as the British Council, Germany as the Goethe Institute, and Ping Pong Productions is trying to step it up for the American side, because it's really lacking. So what are some of the, um, let's rattle off some of the, the cool stuff that you've brought over here to China. Well, we did bring the Pentagon Papers, LA Theatre Works. It was the first American theatre company to be at the National Center for the Performing Arts. Oh, wow. So National Center's been open for since 2008. They've had Israeli, European, UK, never had an American theatre company. Amazing. Yep. So since we brought... In, in five years, they had not had a single... Well, not a single amazing. American theater. They've had dance and orchestras, uh -huh. but not, right. not theater. Uh, we brought Mark Morris Dance Group to the Guangzhou Opera House. That was a great one because, uh, again, the lighting designer had... Everything was all arranged, all planned, and then at the 11th hour, they said, oh, never mind, those things we told you we have, we don't have. And the lighting designer's on his plane redesigning the whole show for, for the Guangzhou Opera House on wow. the way over here. And it worked out. It yeah. worked out. It was gorgeous. It was spectacular. It actually worked out better in Guangzhou than it did in Macau. So there are times where, where it really, you know, they have it together. Um, what other things have we brought over? Uh, we didn't bring them over, but we worked on Alvin Ailey American Dance Company oh, when they were here yeah. at American Dance Theater in 2004 and 2007. Going in the other direction, we brought the first Chinese dance company to be invited by Lincoln Center Festival in 2012. That was Tao Dance Theater. So we, li we like to work on firsts. Oh, good, good, good. So. And uh, outside of theater and dance, what other do you do, do anything in, in symphonies? Or I mean, is that is that something out of your purview? Not as much for for a couple of reasons. One, um, we don't need to. I mean, a lot of symphonies are they, they that's there's more piaofang, there's more ticket sales there. Right. So the the venues have been doing that on their own, and we can fill a void for more contemporary work and a lot of independent work going out. Um, things we we fill in the gaps where the the kind of Big dogs, uh, you know. Heavy like, metal bands in, in, in we'll your future. We'll work on that. <laughs> that's, that's our new, our new I have to say, band, I mean, the, the Wunhuaju stepped up with, um, uh, we, we played at a, a festival in Germany, and the Wunhuaju paid for it for 60% of the plane fare for 
everyone except for me because I'm an American citizen. Of course, they have no business paying for 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 me. But yeah, we're still they're still they're still you know doing yeah, something. Some yeah. Well, the, in in Dresden uh, last December there was a big year of China in Germany. That's right. And that's they, right. They last year they, they they paid for the metal bands to go. Exactly. Last year the entire the the entire bill. Exactly, and that was the Ministry of Culture. He was so proud of that. Uh, the the the, <laughs> the the director of the European Department of the Ministry. Alison, what are some good resources for people who want to keep current or, or, or contribute or just just find out what's on? I mean, what, what's it's the 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 information sharing, as we all know, is a little bit spotty here. So there aren't kind of the centralized places to find out what's on. The venues uh, aren't very good at their own PR and marketing. Yeah, what's up with that? Uh, <laughs> and uh, but I have to say I the I think even though there's a lot more than there ever used to be going on in Beijing or, or cities like Shanghai, the there's not so much that you can't just find it on on the usual English language magazines. Sure, the, um, that's Beijing and the Beijing that's Beijing, and, the Beijing and, and City Weekend. Exactly, and, uh, they're they're pretty good at time at out. Time what's out, going of course. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the venues. I mean, if you speak Chinese, it's a lot easier. The if you speak Chinese, they're plenty of resources. People still do Douban, do even though that's a little bit guashir, a little bit out. Uh, people still do that for different that's events. sad. I, I really like Douban. <laughs> okay. Great. I mean, I, this is this is very edifying, I hope, for, for I mean, certainly for me. Um, let's move on, Jeremy. Let's let's go on to recommendations. I, actually, let's, let's end with you today, because I think you yeah. have a special recommendation. Um, but let's, let's start with, with our, our special guest, Allison. Allison, what do you have for us this week? I would recommend, there's not a lot written in English about contemporary performing arts in China. There is. There are, so I have, I have two. I have one to read and one to see. Ah, okay. If you want to read in English, uh, there are two great um, people. Claire Concession, who's a professor at Duke. Can you spell that surname? Sure. It is C-O-N-C-E-I-S-I-O-N. She's okay. a professor at Duke, and she's written a lot about theater in China. And she's translated Gao Xingjian and Meng Jinghui, and she's, um, she's terrific. So in terms of theater stuff, read Claire Concession. If dance... And looking at sort of the whole extravaganzas, you know, the virtuosity, the song and dance shows that you see um, and how and why that is and kind of understanding the background rather than just writing it off as schlock, but seeing what the cultural context is. Another professor at University of Michigan, Emily Wilcox, mm-hmm. is, is a great scholar, academic and dancer herself. So she's another good one to look out for her publications. So Claire Concision and, and Emily, Emily Wilcox. Wilcox. Yes, okay. but separate from that, because we're talking about performing arts here, and you can't get that from the page. So get your butt into a theater, and everyone has to see The Red Detachment of Women. Oh, yeah. Girls in tights with guns. What's not to like? In Hainan, no less. In Hainan, I know. And, well, the National Ballet still does it. They do it every Samba Funujia, every March 8th Women's Day. It's, it's a great one. Of the eight revolutionary operas, That's that's got to be up there. It's with, spectacular. My, my and, frankly, it's innovative. I mean, don't and don't go in Girls watching it. Girls in tights with guns. Hey, what man. more can you say? You say no more. <laughs> no, it's I have, I have a, a comic book version of The Red Detachment of Women in English, no less. It's pretty awesome. I have the same book. I know what you, you mean. It's very, you do. You know yeah. that. You know that one. It's it's amazing. Mm. I mean, back in it was like published in the seventies. It's, mm. it's it's really really cool. It's one of the things that my dad brought back from like his first trip to China. It's a good piece of commie propaganda for the kids. I, I don't know the English one. I have the Chinese one. It's got the so yeah. You know, go go see that. I and, miss and, communism. You know, taking Tiger Mountain by strategy and all. I miss there communism. There were, but there's a lot going on. Just go see, go see a lot, and okay. don't judge it. Just think about it. Yeah, 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a, a, a non-China related recommendation this week. Just and actually, you know, it's tangentially related to China. I've been playing with this idea that, that uh, our uh, paucity of knowledge about the Islamic world prior to September 11th left us just intellectually incapable of of of, of dealing with the world that that, that tragic event created. Um, I, I feel like th- that same kind of paucity. Is 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 applicable today in China? Although I, I certainly don't see any kind of September 11th like event in in the near future. But um, and in in thinking about Islam myself, I've been reading the works of a writer named an Iranian American named Reza Aslan, uh, who wrote a, a, a great book called uh, How to Win a Cosmic War, uh, in which he really sort of deals with the mind of fundamentalism. And a, a second really good book that I, uh, it's more recent, which I just finished, it, it's called uh, No God But God. And it's it's a uh, popular history of Islam written by somebody who is, you know, very upfront about his own uh, faith in in, in, in Islam. Uh, fascinating, very well written and, and, and clear, extraordinarily clear. The story of Islam from a believer and a very good, very good book. So Reza Aslan. Jeremy, why don't you take us out with your recommendation? All right, I'm going to recommend something I have recommended before in this podcast, ourfolk.net, this great uh, podcast and website devoted to uh, folk music in China and beyond in the Turkic world uh, by Wei Xiaoshir. And um, uh, particularly, he is now starting a record label called Taj Records, I think. And they are putting out some very interesting music, including uh, a collaboration between Wu Fei, uh, who I happen to be married to, and Zhu <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zhongqing, uh, an 84-year-old um, man born in uh, Chongqing in 1929. You were who, hanging out with him recently. Then, yeah, in Chengdu, and right? he, spent, he started in the 50s going around rural areas of Sichuan learning f- local folk songs, usually work songs by miners and people who pulled boats and other such professions. And he learned these songs and then recorded them in his own brain, essentially, before Wikipedia, there was uh, Zhu Lao's brain. So I, I'm not sure when this stuff is going to actually see light of day on the internet or in records, but when it does, I'll put links up, and it's very good. So it should be soon. Do you have a selection to, to, to play for our listeners? Yes, so the, the song that we'll go out with is the Crab Song, or... Or if you'll forgive my terrible, terrible kind of Sichuanese. Uh, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the Ponghaigo. And, and thanks, Allison. That was great having you in here. Um, and I, we look forward to having you again. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. Jeremy, I'll see you next week, man. Um, yeah. And uh, listeners, we will see you here at Listen to the Talk to you next week on boom, the boom. Seneca Podcast. Seneca Take care. Podcast. Listen to this Ponghaigo.